With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a very packed, very important, very big episode of That's Not Metal, the rock and metal podcast that has been with you since 2015 and is not out yet. I'm Perrin Hayish, here with me, Sam Dignon, Alex Chillingworth. I mean, first of all, let's take the foot off the gas for a moment. How was your week? Uh, it's been alright. I mean, uh, contrary to most, most other years, West Ham seemed to be the one thing keeping my mental health <laughs> together at the moment, rather than being the biggest antagonist. Yeah, so, what's that like? Uh, it's weird, I can't believe we're... Doing well in the football. I'm, I'm saying this because the, the Facebook group were asking for more football chat, so here we are. But yeah, lockdown. We said that we don't deliver. Lockdown's been rough, but hey, West Ham are fifth in the league, so swings and roundabouts. Yeah, Alec, you're moving and currently sat in pitch darkness. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I, I'm just ready to expire. Um, I've, just, <laughs> I've, I've moved. All the boxes I can move. I've, I've, I'm, I'm only little anyway. Uh, I, I got locked out of the new house uh, today. I was taking empty boxes out the back, just you know, to kind of like crush them up. Uh, the, 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 the door slid shut. My, my partner was working upstairs. I had to kind of go around in like minus ten in my shirt, my, just my like t-shirt and trackies, and like bang on the window with a giant spade. Are you moving out um, to like the fjords? No, no, just literally 25 minutes from... Anyway, that's boring. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm very tired. Fjords would be more interesting. Anyway. Yeah. How are you, Perrin? I'm doing all right, yeah. It's been it's been pretty manic prepping all the stuff for this show because, as I say, there is a lot to talk about this week. This week, our reviews are from the Foo Fighters, Cult of Luna, The Ruins of Beaverust, and we have Album Club on mindless self-indulgences, you'll rebel to anything. That was an experience, uh, as we'll talk about later. Um, we start on news, and we have to get serious, of course, because uh, I hate when news is dominated by this shit. And in the last year, certainly with you know COVID-19, we've certainly had more than our fair share of bad news stories leading the way. Um, not that this had anything to do with that, but obviously news this week has been dominated by Marilyn Manson. Um Evan Rachel Wood officially named Manson as her abuser, essentially confirming what everyone had pretty much worked out anyway from the testimony that she gave a little while ago, where she was describing a, a ex-partner of hers treating her pretty fucking horrifically. Um, the first thing to say is it's really important and commendable that she's done that. There's a lot of, you know, even if it is essentially confirming old information for, for you know, us as passers-by, it is, there's a lot of fear that certainly must have been at play in not coming out and naming him originally. Um, As I say, with that kind of information, last year kind of felt like there was this bubbling pressure kind of around the Manson situation that was ready to burst at kind of at any point. 
um, that happened this week. What followed uh, was even more women and people around Manson coming out and sharing their other stories, you know, making other statements about uh, how, how Marilyn Manson had, had treated them or their abuse of them or, or things that they had witnessed happening to other people. Um, that included people in the actual Manson camp, like like Tor Crew or, uh, you know, Wes Borland came out with something when he was uh, briefly in the band for a tour. To the point that, you know, not that just one person sharing their experiences should in any way be discredited or dismissed or anything like that, but certainly when you have a whole tidal wave of people coming forward, bringing these stories to the table, it makes it pretty much impossible to not take seriously. Um, Manson, for his part, called these accusations... Uh, horrible distortions of reality um as i say you know the sheer volume of, of things kind of i would say speaks for itself um where the story then went is notable because often you know when something is leveled like someone like this it can circle around the internet uh but not actually go anywhere with practical implications you know you just get kind of again the the internet echo chamber and it doesn't you know, for, for everything that people like to say about cancel culture, sometimes people just c- carry on regardless with it not actually affecting them very much. Um, the past few days after this really came to the fore on Monday has seen all manner of groups and, and people involved with, with Marilyn Manson step away. His label, uh, his label Loma Vista have dropped him. Um, his agency CAA have dropped him. Uh, acting work that he's done for TV shows like American Gods and Shudder's Creep Show, they've dropped those kind of things that they were working on all of which is you know um that is serious and that is a lot more than comes of most you know quote cancellations uh it, it remains to be seen of course how manson you know how manson's career might continue on from here or indeed just come to a halt here we don't know but this uh this brings us to where we are now discussing all of this that's all the important stuff the important the most important thing is of course to commend all of the women who have come out to share these kind of stories and to show support for that that is more relevant and worthy of your thoughts and time than anything that we might say you know but uh we are a coverage podcast talking about music and and music culture and we are going to have to i guess talk about what this means for us as an outlet and marilyn manson um i haven't actually discussed this with you guys but i think you can probably both agree with what i'm about to say uh we're not going to cover marilyn manson anymore yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it, it would just not feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, feel wrong. I would hate to ask that of you guys, but in a you know in a personal sense, I think you know not necessarily in like a blanketing sense in you know never saying his name again because he is of course a hugely influential figure that you cannot just sweep the history of what he might have stood for under the carpet. But we are not going to be promoting anything he may do or put out in future. We're not going to be doing any you know historical album clubs or. or Marilyn Manson specials or anything like which was something that we may well have done um had this stuff not not come to the fore uh over the last year or so I know that last year we reviewed the album that came out uh when things were kind of in that strange middle ground of stuff floating around um which to be truthful there were some feelings of awkwardness around doing that and and I know looking back even further you know people online this week there's certainly a lot of people who are saying there are all kinds of red flags and uncomfortable hints and incidents kind of peppered across his career going back to like the 90s that they're now pointing to saying like did you not see this shit like did you not think that something might be up with that guy years ago um i can't speak to any of that all i'm going to say is from here on out we are going to dedicate as little time to marilyn manson as we have to because i think and i hope that all of you guys can agree that that is the right thing to do 
is there anything you guys would like to add to what I've just said or shall we leave it there and move on to happier subjects? No, I think you've summed up the whole situation very professionally and like with a lot of care for what is a horrible thing to discuss. So I think that that's a good place to leave it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, you, you got to believe you know women, you know, victims why 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 would they make it up? Um, you know, like um it's horrible horrible shit. Let's uh let's talk about something nice. Yeah, I guess the, the one thing I I will last say is that you know, again, a lot of people have been commenting not just on Manson's actions, but the reactions to various people just, you know, in the metal community and audience to these kind of things and how shameful some of those things are. So just think about these things more carefully is all I would say. And, and I know that most of you guys listening will be absolutely kind of great with this stuff. And, and I really hope that we can all come together on that. Um the happier news I have in question, the other big thing to happen this week, not you know, not as big, but I, I thought it was worth celebrating. Um, Cannibal Corpse have hey! announced their new album. It's called Violenced Unimagined, which when it is the violence that the members of Cannibal Corpse have not yet imagined, you wonder what that <laughs> might include. Um, it is Going by out- the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the artwork is mental. Uh, not the... Uh, the censored one that you're likely to see on all of your services, although that is still cool. The real one that you've got to go look a little bit for. I did see, you know, we were laughing that they've done like a little pin of it, which is fucking wonderful. All of the inside vibes. Um, yeah, Violence Unimagined. It is out on April 16th. And they've also released the lead single, Inhumane Harvest, which this song, uh, it's not their catchiest single ever. There is that brilliant bit where Corpse Grinder goes, everything must go when he sounds like a DFS advert uh, within the context <laughs> of, a, of a like a brutal death metal song. Um, but it, what this album just, re- this song even reminded me of is there's a thing that Cannibal Corpse still do that most death metal bands of their generation don't. Um, even when the songs are good, it, it actually left me feeling beaten up. Like I felt like I had like, the stars circling around my head, the cheapened chicks. Like, it left me a uh, kind of impact and feeling like I had, you know, just gone a few rounds um, in a way that a lot of their bands their age don't because so many little accents and moments of piling on heaviness from different directions. The false uh, ending is what, is, is what got me because I, I was feeling the same as you. Uh, and then I, I thought it had finished and then I just nearly pooed my pants when it just came back, <laughs> back in again with a dunna, dunna, just for the last kind of like Yeah, there is that, that slow riff two minutes in, which is what Ooh. everyone on my time has been kind of slathering over. Yeah, I, I, I was just like, it's amazing they can still go that hard. And they just don't sound like they, they're ever going to let up on it until the very end of the band. Oh, that was, I mean, for me, I was like, they still make you feel like you're getting smashed around the head repeatedly. Yeah. And mercilessly. Yeah, that slow riff is amazing. All the little they're really underrated players, Cannibal Corpse. And and if you're into the nuance of what is going on in Cannibal Corpse, they're one of the most rewarding bands, you know, contrary to what some people might have you believe. Um the the, the main riff that comes in at the very beginning reminded me of a, a certain track off of the bleeding, but played by Cannibal Corpse in twenty twenty one with the full, you know, Eric Rutan kind of production job. And it, it just reminded me of how timeless that sound is. Mentioning Eric Rutan, of course, the other piece of news that accompanied this is that Eric Rutan um is now a 
full-time member of Cannibal Corpse, replacing uh, Pat O'Brien, who kind of has had some uh, quite serious mental health issues over the past couple of years. That's the kind of thing that we are theorizing about when we spoke about Cannibal Corpse a few weeks ago on, on the preview. Um, if you're not familiar, Eric Rutan, he's the main player, he's the main guy in the band Hate Eternal. He was once in Morbid Angel. He has produced... Uh, all but one of Cannibal Corpse's uh, records in like the last 15 years. So he's about as perfect. You know, if you've played in Morbid Angel and you're the main guy in Hate Eternal and now you're adding Cannibal Corpse to the list of legendary death metal bands that you're in, like, what a fucking roster that dude has. It's, it's you know, it, like I said, I, as a fan, it would be nice to see Pat kind of back in action at some point. But I certainly think that if you were going to pick any person on the planet to put in Cannibal Corpse in his place, you would pick Eric Rutan. So that is good news. Um, Hayley Williams is apparently going to be releasing a new album tomorrow, or you know, for you as you're listening to this, today. Uh, there's been kind of teasing of such a thing called Flowers for Vases, presumably you know, riffing off of the, the Petals for Armour project. Um, if that is indeed, you know, we, we will see kind of, of what stature this kind of project turns out to be if, if it does arrive tomorrow. Um, and if it is, you know, a, a full album worthy of discussion, we will probably review it on next week's show. So keep eyes peeled for that. Um, uh, the Armed have announced their album Ultra Pop for April 16th, which is, you know, again, April 16th. That's um, a stacked release day. Yeah, I, t- I think, you know, maybe these two albums we're discussing today, we might end up having to review the following week because there's already a lot out that particular day. Like that is looking like a particularly busy um, release week. So get excited for that. Uh, Evile. Evile have announced their new album, Hell Unleashed, which is about as metal an album title as you could come up with. Um, that's coming out on April the 30th, and they've released the title track from it. Now, Evile are a band who, if you have gotten into heavy music in the last, well, eight years, you may well have never heard of them before. Um, I loved Evile when they were around, like genuinely. they For me, they were, you know, as a kid who loved thrash metal, they were an exciting band when I was getting into heavy music. And I've got a soft spot for them. And they never did anything that was below standard. The problem was they just petered out and fell off the face of the earth. Um, I was at a supposed comeback show in 2015. And that ended up being a farewell show. Like, they never did anything again after that point. Um, and then in the you know, recent months, they've had all kinds of lineup shifts where the, the frontman Matt Drake left. And his kind of, you know, um, James Hetfield kind of voice was a big part of the evil sound then old drake his brother who was originally the one who left back in the day came back and is now the vocalist um if you're keeping up to date on the the evil shuffling there you go that's the uh, the kind of rundown version but yeah evil are now back with a new front person if for all intents and purposes uh which means there's more of an extreme edge on Evil now than there was back in the day. Perhaps not as much as I actually expected when I heard that Ol was going to be doing vocals and that he was going to be channeling a little bit more of that. Maybe I expected more of a full fucking skeleton witch or something. But he does have mm. A, mm. A, a more guttural, harsher kind of voice. Um, the rest of the song still sounds like proper 2008 thrash revival. Uh, but the riffing and the picking and everything is still there. Uh how how interested are we in the kind of an evil comeback? I think it'll be fun. I think I think it's cool. You, there's not there's, there's always a space for a band like Evil to just kind of come along, put out a good fresh album, mm. tour it. People like I think it's not going to set the world on fire, but I think it's going to be a fun bit of fresh revival. That's what Evil always were to me. I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like since I guess, since that they were popular, you've had stuff like Power Trip. 
kind of kind of come along and just like proper give that sound to kick up the arse and then you've got you know like people really getting into uh stuff like midnight uh gaining popularity uh, yeah old, last, old drake does say in the statement that accompanied the single he said that this is he said that i am comfortable in saying that this is the best thrash metal album of the last 20 years and uh <laughs> like i love evil but let, let's see this nightmare logic uh then it, yeah. if that is the case I, I will the other thing i have to point out about this album um is that with that little bit more of an extreme edge there is a mortician cover on this track listing which i cannot imagine and when i saw that i actually like i guffawed i couldn't fucking believe it so i am looking forward to seeing if to what extent evil try to kind of contemporary contemporary eyes that's not a word you know what i mean um or, or you know update their sound in any way i think it, this this single is fun we will see how essential and how revitalizing an overall album is um but i'm i'm pleased that you know after so many years of kind of promising things eval are in fact back you're looking forward to uh to brian possein being on it as well Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's also a thing uh conjurer have they've signed now to nuclear blast for their new album which is brilliant news because i think conjurer were um they were kind of the one band who when a a record label that they used to be signed to disappeared and kind of all of their the bands who were on there scrabbled around signing to other labels a lot of them went the church road records way and some of them such as mole ended up on nuclear blast and i think that of all the bands i would want on the bigger platform for as much as i want you know as much cool shit coming from church road as i can imagine um yeah conjurer getting that big metal audience is a really good promising thing i think so their new album is coming at some point this year and it will be on nuclear blast which is awesome yeah i absolutely agree with that that they're the, i think of all those bands they were the ones i was like they're the ones who could get legit big in the metal scene so having them on a label like nuclear blast feels like the perfect home yeah them. and yeah um also good news Max Cavalera has formed a new band called Go Ahead and Die, which is great. Um, the band also includes his son, Igor, not the other Igor Cavalera. You don't get confused there. Um, and the, the most interesting member, perhaps, of this, uh, chemist and Black Curse drummer, Zach Coleman, um, which... To me, the the name of the band, kind of the reference points being thrown around, and the fact that, you know, I, I know most of you will, will know Chemis. Black Curse, if you didn't hear that record that came out last year, is fucking filthy, ungodly heavy, kind of blackened death metal. Uh, so there's a mixed components there. I, I would imagine this would be quite violent and punky with a name like Go Ahead and Die. It sounds like, you know, a discharge kind of, kind of band like that, but also with an extreme edge filtering in that... I think that we're just looking for a, a really nice blast of horrid noise from Cavalera and Co on that one, which is exciting. Also exciting on the kind of extreme news is Thomas Lindbergh has rejoined Lockup, who, if you are not aware of Lockup, they are a long-running grindcore supergroup, um, primarily spearheaded by Shane Embury, the bassist of Napalm Death and the best writer of grindcore, uh, grindcore riffs the world has ever seen. Uh, they have had a kind of revolving door of vocal, uh, vocalists over the year where they did have Thomas Lindbergh once upon a time. They used to have uh, Peter from Hypocrisy. And most recently, they have had Kevin Sharp from Brutal Truth. I saw Lock Up with Kevin um, front of them and it was a fucking great time and that last record was amazing as well. The interesting part of this announcement is that Kevin Sharp has not left the band. Instead, we have Thomas Lindbergh and Kevin Sharp of Brutal Truth who are a kind of a legendary grindcore band in their own right doing essentially a, a co-lead vocalist role a double-pronged attack in a grindcore band powered by those shane embry riffs those two voices at the front of it 
give me this album now. That sounds so fun, right, Alec? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a bit sad uh, I, uh, when I was reading um, that N- Nick Barker is no longer um, part sure, of the yeah. band. But, but yeah, fucking love Tomper. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> did you see them at that Napalm Death show? Yeah, it was, there was a tour a few years ago that was Napalm Death, um, Lock Up, Bruheria, and the one band that didn't feature Shane Embry in it, Power Trip. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Sh- Shane Embry was taking tickets on the door and he was <laughs> c- cleaning the toilets, doing God, the I merch. fucking love Shane Embry. What an absolute treasure of a man that human is. Yeah. Right, on with the news. Metallica are going to be playing the Super Bowl after show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, <laughs> still, I just wanted that in there for the misdirect. Um, if you're in America, that might be interesting. Uh, <laughs> s- similarly, you know, kind of home territory, I think, at this point for them, Green Day are going to be playing this Saturday the NFL Honors Show, which is basically what their entire last record was written to do. So go and have fun, Green Day. Um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, of course, have received two glo- uh, Golden Globe nominations for both the, the Mank and Soul scores which the golden globes is it's i know it's a, it's a prestigious kind of a award show in its own right but it's also in some ways like a uh, a pre-event practice for, run yeah it's like a practice run for the oscars where the kind of the nominees come out first and you kind of go okay what of these will end up in the oscar mm. pool um so trent and atticus definitely up for two golden globe nominations for two different scores likely i would say at least one of those if not both of them are going to end up in the Oscar pool as well, which is just great for them. Well done. Uh, Maynard James Keenan has got COVID a second time, which you almost want to laugh at just for the sheer kind of uh, what are the chances vibe, but also, like, of course, I mean, I think he's on the mend, but of course, like, get well, Maynard, and I hope that uh, there's no kind of lasting implications of such a thing. Uh, And the last piece of news I want to talk about is is less relevant to us specifically, but uh, there was a story that came out recently about spotify and how their kind of you know algorithm works um they have said or hinted at that they want to listen to your conversations to be able to tell your mood and therefore recommend new music based on what your mood uh they think sounds like which you know there's that there was that don broco song on the last album where he was talking about like his phone listening to him uh, say he wanted chili con carne for dinner, recommending him chili con carne, and him going, I really don't like it. This is as close to that, like, Black Mirror feeling. I think I've, I've felt yeah. one of these, like, phone listening to me. I don't want my phone listening to me when I'm supposedly sad and being like, here's a fucking sad piano ballad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just feels weird, and Spotify's recommendation things are not great on my end anyway i've never <laughs> like they, they they recommend stuff to me and i'm just like i don't like this go away so maybe this is why you need this sound <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know i think it's a thing in it because it's um it's just like a, a patent at the moment and like companies do they just patent things don't they so they can have it you know like when people yeah. just buy website domains and hold them hostage so you have <laughs> to buy buy them back or whatever but um yeah shout I don't out whoever I, bought that's not metal domain when we had our break <laughs> yeah what is it like a casino now yeah it's like it? an indian gambling company <laughs> hope you're fucking happy excellent <laughs> But yeah, no, they, um, they I, I don't know, it's one of those things, and it? it sounds kind of terrifying, but it's like, your phone's already kind of, you know, spying on you anyway, and if you've had the vaccine, they're spying on you as well. Um, <laughs> I was 
wondering if anyone was going to make that, that <laughs> please get vaccinated um that's news <laughs> yes do yes that's news <laughs> questions um johnny bass first up on the questions asks with Weezer ditching the modern age and going back to analogue instruments, which artists would benefit from unplugging and which artists would dive-bomb their careers by doing so? Blink-182, shout it from the rooftops. I, and I, I do mean unplugging from all of their newfangled electronics that they don't know how to use, like a data ember in there as well, uh, rather than like ditching rock musicianship, of course. But please, Blink-182... Go get away from the computers. Um, I will. In terms of like, who should go full archaic seventeenth century? I mean, Ghost could maybe do it. That'd be interesting. Ooh. Ghost are a really good shout. Yeah, That's I think they really could. They good. could do some really fun. Have some really have like just have loads of fun with it and and spook it up and make it yeah. as like theatrical and gothic campy as possible and just I- in the way that only Ghost can. I think that's that's probably one of the strongest answers you could give yeah there are some songs like deus in absentia or meliora which are kind of almost like that uh anyway sam what do you think then what do you come up with um i thought about paramore could do like a really Ooh. like if they really stripped back everything could do something really cool um and they've kind of dabbled with that in the past but i think doing a whole project on that would be yeah like evanescence something... basically did do this yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah they did uh, well i mean evanescence was kind of like blending the electronics with the oh yes you're quite right that. yeah they they were trying to combine the two, synthesize the two. <laughs> but no, I think Paramore going completely, like and go, uh, going completely analog like that, uh, I think would be really cool. So that's my answer. In terms of who would dive bomb their careers, bring with the horizon. Wow, yeah. I mean, in terms of who would dive bomb their careers, like Cannibal Corpse, like <laughs> Full of Hell. I'm, like, I'm thinking bands who could realistically do it, and that's why I'm saying yeah. bring with the horizon because I just don't want that. Ever. Most most rock bands, really, like if you strip away the rock instrumentation from most rock bands, uh, it's they're going to lose what was interesting around them, or at least you mm. know what 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 founded the kind of their what the you know what they are standing on. Alec, what about you? Uh, I think for my good ones, uh, I think Nine Inch Nails. Um, cool. I think like, stuff like the the Fragile. That's kind of orchestral anyway yeah. albeit electronically um so i think that would be really interesting i think they could do a lot with that and like other industrial like i'd love to see like skinny puppy go uh symphonic i think that'd be amazing um in terms of like shitters spe- speaking of weezer like imagine green day looking at weezer and going oh we can God. do that oh, like it, it we'll, would we'll be so any other band on that tour <laughs> Yeah, it would just be so earn, like over earnest and just like <laughs> yeah, it would just go so wrong. Yeah, you're quite right. Oh, that's a horrible thought. Tom Thelegs Horcroft. Sorry if I said that name wrong. Um, if you were to enter any musician from our world onto RuPaul's Drag Race, who would it be? I put this question to my girlfriend because she is a fucking drag race. <laughs> ravenous fanatic like she consumes everything to do with that show from every fucking country in the world now, you've got a... one of them on the podcast with yeah you right I, now. I, I figured as much um but the, the answer she came up with immediately was she said that uh she thinks that will gould would make an incredible effeminate gothic drag queen <laughs> will gould is one of my two answers which is will gould and davy havoc oh yeah of course the og will gould <laughs> yeah literally those are the two i was like just put in there's like the slightly punky gothic like drag queen on there and i think they'd be great tv for those of the two i just when i saw that question i was like it's those two it's yeah. gotta be 
Honestly, after the, the, the pork chop bullshit in this latest series, I've got to say, <laughs> I think we need to get Garl in there. Like, he would be having, he would be having none of that. Like, it's absolute fucking nonsense. But, um, no, my, my real answer is Benji Webb from Skindred. Oh my God. I think, uh, as him as the comedy queen, kind of. Would he like, lip sync you know, to his own reggae covers of, of classic rock songs? Um, <laughs> Oh Mate, there'd God. be like Union I Jack dresses covered in spikes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that'd be just. I imagine him like death dropping. Um, no, I think uh, I, I think Benji would be like yeah. cracking. I reckon. The other way you could take this question is uh, what song from our kind of world would you put forward as a lip sync song? Which I'm gonna set the standard with "Kiss the Go Goat" by Ghost because Eddie lip sync fucking kicking off with "Well, baby," and then that whole like "Stay done." Lucifer and the kiss at the end it's so theatrically camp anyway that I can't imagine it not blowing the roof off misery yeah. business in it misery like, business <laughs> shit that'd be a, that'd be that'd be that's what I'm always like I, why have they not done a Paramore lip sync yet Paramore are big enough to be lip synced on Drag Race do it yeah that's I the challenge the- I, th- I think the Bodum cover of Oops, I Did It Again would be a strong <laughs> shout as well because it's got the kind of, it's got that crossover appeal because you've got the, you know, Britney, obviously. Uh, and then it's got all those kind of lip synky bits like you like when he kind of goes like that. And then there's, there's a bit in the middle where they're just like speaking like bullshit in Finnish as well that they could really have fun with. Yeah, or Arch Spire, just because it would be funny. Um, <laughs> Paul Morton asks... Are there any albums that you've been listening to for years and years that the more you listen to them, the higher they climb in your estimations? I bought the Weezer Blue album in 1996, but find myself enjoying it more and more as the years goes by and would now personally consider it to be among the rock, the best rock debut albums of all time. Hot take, I know. Um, Sam, you go first on this one. Yeah. Um, it's a weird one because I've loved it but I remember when I first heard the 59 sound, I was like, I thought that was decent. And then now, after living with it for the last 10 years you I overrate it's one it. of the best albums ever made <laughs> i'm ignoring that i'm just not going to respond i think it's a perfect album and no, yeah, we're gonna argue about that but that that's one there's a bunch of like um naughty zemo albums as well i find that i like i liked at the time and now i think oh like, three cheers i think three cheers and the black parade but more so three cheers for me is an album yeah. that uh I certainly value way more now kind of for having lived with it for over a decade yeah, Free Cheers is one, and um, Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday is the other one. I kind of I love more now at this point than I did when I heard it as a teenager. Right, yeah. Just because like, living with it a lot. I think Three Cheers probably is the best answer for me, actually. But the ones I kind of thought of uh, when I saw this question were Jane Doe. It definitely took a while for Jane Doe to creep up for me from like, holy shit, this is just intense to like one of my favourite albums ever made. Um, similarly, The Downward Spiral um and the broken ep as well which was the first nine inch nails material i heard but those two are like uh again for having lived with them for a while are just some of the greatest records ever of course and i've said before about how um muse and and you know even the open door by evanescence which we did on an album club last week uh there are intricacies in there that i appreciate more for just knowing more about music and having heard more music than when i first heard those records what about you alec uh riser riser by ramstein i think um because when i got into ramstein it was like around the time of rosenrot so i had all that music anyway like i liked riser riser um you know it's like woo, it's the one with america on it but um (laughs) but i think now i kind of appreciate what it 
I can it was a kind of turning point in their sound from what you know where they were with the kind of electronic kind of cartoony stuff to where they've gone on to now uh, it's quite quite an important bit of their career which I I didn't appreciate because I was like 11 um or whatever uh, and it's then the I album guess... they became a big stadium rock band on really I'd say that riser riser yeah and it's got all the big like you know it's got the like you know mind tile and yeah, America. Uh, on yeah. It. It's just got like some of those massive kind of staple Ramstein songs that you know even people who don't really like them kind of know. No, yeah, know them. Yeah, yeah. So that probably, and uh, I, I guess kind of Pinkerton by Weezer because uh, I always I always thought it was all right, um, and it just never really clicked with me. And then I was on my way from London to Glasgow on a megabus for seventy p. Um, <laughs> And my, uh, we're going to see ACDC in Glasgow, and my mate had gotten the time wrong. He thought it was one in the afternoon, and it was one in the morning. So I was just on the <laughs> megabus on my own from London to Glasgow, and I was just on my, on my big old iPod, just thought I'd stick Pinkerton on. And for some reason, maybe it's just because I was cold, I was alone, I was hungry, I was tired. <laughs> and so, so, so when, when Tired of Sex came on by the... Like you know, the tonight down down on my knees. Like it just it just clicked with me. Yeah, good question. That is it for questions this week. They of course come from the That's Not Metal Focus Group on Facebook, as always. So seek us out there to get yourself heard. Um, but before we head into the reviews, which you know, as I said at the beginning, there's kind of some big records this week. We do have an announcement to make. Um, if you are in the focus group, you will know that about a month ago. I announced that in the new year, which is obviously now, That's Not Metal would be moving to Patreon to replace the old premium subscription model. Today is is that day. Uh, there will be a lot of you who aren't in that group, so we'll be hearing of this for the first time. So I will take the time here to elaborate and explain. Um, That's Not Metal has always been a wholly DIY independent podcast. It's been that way since 2015 when Bees launched it from his flat. Uh, and it has, you know, of course, I will admit that it has seen some pretty turbulent ups and downs. Like, if you have been here from the start, from that time, you will know that. You will know, of course, of various incidents and changes all across that time, up to, of course, bees leaving the show at the end of last year and leaving myself in charge of taking TNM forward and me bringing, you know, the brilliant Sam and Alec onto the show. Part of that deal, when that was made, was taking tnm forward in a way that was finding a new way of sustainability because the old one was not working the old that's the metal website served us well really well for a time and it allowed us to do some super cool things but it also really began to falter and part of it is that tnm was was just founded before the use of patreon was so normalized and widespread uh, you know, maybe if TNM had been founded in 2017, 2018, a Patreon would have been there from the very beginning. Um, but in 2018, a big shift was made, again, that did not work out. If you were there at the time, you will kind of know some of the things that kind of uh, were tried and, and then failed. And what happened at that point is the podcast kind of just retreated back to how it was rather than moving forward at all. It was the same tech and the same model as 2015 used up until... 2020 and when bees departed with that farewell show that we did a few months ago he he mentioned some of the financial implications of what was happening with tnm uh the the state of the site and the model that we were using at that time is a gargantuan factor as to why that was the case 
um so that even before bees left i was i myself was pushing for a move to patreon and it was always something that i was keen to do and something i was trying to spearhead um one point is that the old website in terms of like navigation was fucking terrible i mean many of you know that many of you will remember having to make emails asking for help about why such and such a subscription hasn't gone through or you can't access the specials or whatever you know it, it was a an old shoddy site and i hope that on a sheer ease like ease of use and access front this will be a more pleasant intuitive experience for everybody um and we'll encourage people to get involved if you were maybe you know uh suspicious before of, of what things might have been like a lot of you are probably like why is he making such a big deal out of this like i contribute to patrons all the time i, I hear you but when i took over i also i i want to this from the start i wanted to emphasize transparency and communication with all of you and and tnm has taken missteps before that i'm seeking to not repeat and when i asked for your input in the facebook group a while ago about this the response was really enthusiastic and encouraging uh, and genuinely affirming and lovely as well you know people saying that they just wanted to support which which means the absolute world because this is after all how, how bills are paid and for a while we have been doing this for free and thus losing money because of the maintenance costs that are involved with keeping a podcast like as a throat like as soon as i took over i started piling my own money into keeping tnm afloat the that's not metal patreon is now live it is patreon.com slash that's not metal you can support us for just one pound if you like if you just want to contribute a small amount to keep the show running if you're a fan of the weekly show that is a real help and hugely appreciated thank you you can also if you wish you can sign up for five pound a month which is the same as the old monthly subscription for the old tnm premium and that is where the tried and tested that's not metal specials are going to be making their return it is the same format and concept as it always has been on the same schedule one you know a show every two weeks within you know as, as kind of frequently as we can manage it um just in a much more user and creator friendly space i think if you have supported us in the past through the subscription service and you, and you want to to kind of pledge that once again or indeed if you never got involved with it because of difficulties but would like to now uh we are bringing all of that back in a way that fluidly will work there were also a number of you who when i put it to you on the facebook group of you know how you would like to see this turn out uh you some of you expressed that you would be happy to contribute a higher amount either out of just a desire to keep the podcast going as strong as it is or to access some extra stuff so i can also tell you that on top of the the five pound tier which is where all the base specials are going to be there will be a seven pound tier as i say all of the specials are on the five pound one so there is no pressure or extra emphasis on this higher tier being where you should be but if you want to contribute a little more it is available and we are going to come up with some fun little extras to go on there when we can some ideas i have right now are some of you have expressed a desire for something like a, a a horror podcast which you know again we can't put so much kind of emphasis into running a whole concurrent extra show that's as intense as tnm is but something like a casual monthly chat about what we've been watching or whatever or occasionally with set topics that kind of thing uh is something that i thought of to do on that tier uh, something else I would like to do is I would like to do a kind of what's in my bag type segment where we just chat vinyl or, or physical media or merch in any kind of uh, shape or form. It's just stuff to kind of show off and, and chat about it because I know that I am not alone in 
nerding out about that side of the music that we love um i would have to figure out if what's in my bag is a trademarked like name if we can use it or if we have to call it something else fucking give us some name suggestions for that if you want to see that uh and there probably will also be like extra written posts and stuff like that maybe you know um riffing off of things we discuss on the show in a little bit more detail you're throwing out uh extra band camp recommendations or anything like that the point is here is nothing so large as for us to kind of overcommit and overextend ourselves and fail to deliver what we promised but just small little extras as a thank you to the people who do sign up for that if you are interested in those kind of supplementary bits and bobs please reach out to us and let us know what kind of stuff you would like to see on there because all of this is an evolving process again based around communication with you guys and what you would like your that's not metal experience to be um i should also say that we are not going to be starting up making and recording new specials again for another few weeks we've got an awful lot of planning involved to do with those kind of things and i also i wanted to give sam and alec as much time as possible to kind of settle into the process and demands of what being part of an outlet like that's the metal is um and if you don't want to sign up to the patreon until that new content is like flowing it in that's entirely cool and that's up to you um if you do sign up now though you will receive a link containing the archive of all of the that's not specials that were available on the old website i know as soon as that site went down everyone was asking what happened to the old specials and if you can access them maybe if there's stuff you never got around to doing everything from that side of the podcast starting uh, that started in 2016 right through to the last things we did last year if you sign up to patreon you will receive all of that stuff to keep you kind of tidying over for the moment um before we start making the new specials again and that is if you've never signed up for that's not metal that is fucking years worth of content of of specials of all shapes and sizes some of which i was involved with some of which are before my time all of which are in depth and awesome so that is all there that was a lot (laughs) but patreon.com slash that's not metal please let us know what you think please let us know how you're finding it and what you would like to see on there and most importantly of all if you choose to contribute and support us no matter how big or small it might be which tier you go for thank you so much it means more than you could possibly know let's do some album reviews first up it is the foo fighters it is their album medicine at midnight the 10th album the first thing I want to ask, right off the bat, even before mentioning where this album may or may not fit into this, is how high or low are your expectations for a new Foo Fighters album? Sam? Nowadays, not very high, considering my feelings on what the last two Foo Fighters albums were. Though, like, with each album, my expectations have sunk lower and lower, I'll just say. Alec? Yeah, yes, Sam has just uh, kind of like uh, tiptoed into my head and stolen my thoughts. Yeah, pr- 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 <laughs> right. pretty much the, the same thing, yeah. Next question then. How much of quality would a Foo Fighters album have to have for you to be happy and chalk it up as a positive? Because for me, while they've certainly got a lot of mediocre records, including the little run we have just found ourselves on... Um, I also don't think there is a Foo Fighters album that is without redeeming features. There's always a song here or there or moments. Um, And Concrete and Gold, the previous album from 2017, is an album that I never went back to again to listen to in full. But it's got promising moments on it. uh, And it had more good songs and interesting moments on it than Sonic Highways did in 2014. And thus, I considered it an upgrade. What percentage of good would you need to take a Foo Fighters album and say, cool? 
I'd almost say like 50%, uh, like maybe maybe slightly less. And so a couple of singles to go into the live set. I was going to say 50% like, is, quite, is quite high standards. Yeah, no, no. I was, thinking, but... I was thinking, I was like, no, that, that, that maybe it's a bit high. But like, <laughs> they four only, or five songs they, that are... They only, they only do like nine nine or eight songs an album like 50 percent like four good songs like fucking come on (laughs) they sometimes do about 11 or 12 in which case you're demanding six good songs and that's a bit high that that, it's like four or five songs is probably the thing i'd be looking at yeah because when i look at some even some like the the weaker food fighters albums from the noughties they still had a handful of tracks i was like those are really good like maybe like one or two really good songs and three okay songs yeah maybe agree. that's that maybe that's the level i'm talking agreed for me a big point is uh what i'm going to call the pretender factor which is that yes. echo silence patience and grace is no one's favorite foo fighters album it is not an album anyone says is a jam-packed classic rammed with songs of the utmost caliber in the foo fighters catalog but it does have a standout moment that is so astoundingly brilliant that you would be upset if they didn't play it at their show. Uh, even if they a Foo Fighters album has one good song on it and the rest of it is shit, if that one good song is The Pretender, I will take it as a victory. Foo Fighters albums have kind of lacked that in the last few years. Like I think yeah. Concrete and Gold is Concrete and Gold probably is about 50% good, um, but it doesn't have anything of that calibre. Uh, so without that... I would probably say similarly to you, four or five decent songs in the way, you know, Concrete and Gold, for example, has, uh, I'll be like, okay, fine, you're about filling what I expect from you. Which brings us to Medicine at Midnight, uh, which is a record in advance. They described it as fucking weird sounding. Uh, Dave Grohl compared it to Let's Dance by David Bowie, which is a... I mean, for a start, you can laugh at that comparison because anyone comparing their record to a Bowie album, like, it has this certain level of, of silliness to it. But I understand what he's saying because, for me, you can see them going for, like, a vintage thing in the way that they've done with, uh, you know, they did kind of a Heartland rock thing on Sonic Highways going to all those studios or uh, a, a kind of a, a garagey lane, like, like, like wasting light. Um, the thing with the Food Fighters is that they're not going to do something futuristic, are they? Uh, no. They're, like... They are generally inspired by rock bands who play organic guitar-based music. Um, and when they say that they're doing that in a David Bowie kind of vein, you go, okay, it's going to be that, but you know, it's dance music in the old-fashioned sense. It's not electronic, but it's guitar music that is danceable. Um, and Foo Fighters, again, I've spoken before about how they kind of do their lane picking, and they kind of... Because they are uncomplicated, which is both their blessing and their curse. And now they kind of, they root around for something to do with each album. And for a start, I want to get away from the idea of this being, there are some albums that kind of build up this idea of being bad before you hear them. And they kind of get, you know, everyone's getting their knives out because there might be a particular overriding view of where a band is at in their career and the run of releases up to this point. Uh, and then maybe you hear a lead single and your mind made up, which I think is for some people very much the case with this record and the lead single that came from it this album is mostly not bad it's only 36 minutes long which is quite a pleasant move i will actually say this is probably where my 50 percent came from is that i think i like yeah. about half i really like about half this album wow okay um I'll- i will I'm, I'm as surprised as you are on that one i did not see that coming when i pressed play but i've come away from it after a couple of listens going there are four really good songs, I would say, on here, and like one decent song, and the rest of it, I'm like, could do about that, but way more. I like this way more than I expected to. All right, I will. Yeah, 
considering that is like i said it, it's only 36 minutes long which Foo fighters sometimes can drag um 50 percent of a 36 minute record is like a batting average yeah <laughs> alec what are you about to say yeah there? man yeah no i was just gonna say like um I did, just going back to that point about oh half you know we want half to be good songs it's like they were literally <laughs> in nirvana and like sunny day realistic <laughs> like come on but yeah no i i had very low expectations for this and um yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised uh, like, i don't think anything they ever do is ever like embarrassing or cringy it's just a bit dull sometimes yeah uh, um and yeah like making a fire when that comes in um i, I think they kind of um they, they peaked too early like many men um and um when, when especially men who are in like, nirvana but <laughs> yeah. is what it is but um no they're, they're kind of like that that kind of like treble heavy thin guitar and then the this kind of gospel-y backing vocals coming in is it, it reminded me a bit of like get ready for love by nick cave and the backseat bad seeds but not as good because it's not get ready for love by nick cave and the bad seeds but it was like it's really fun like it just sounds like a rock band and like the, the chorus the chorus oh of that song God. is incredible the way it just lifts every time it comes in i'm just like ah, uh, that's uh, that was what kind of changed my tone on the album straight away was that it opens with a song as good as making a fire mm. it, like if Foo Fighters is going to be a big like overblown classic rock inspired band this is how i want them to do it yeah like just imagine being in a field like singing along to the na 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 yeah exactly like it'll be amazing yeah i, I and might the hand clapping love I'm... a hand clap <laughs> I might then be the most negative about this record because this does not have a 50% rating for me. No fucking way. Um, I, I, will, I will say, to start on positive, um, well, my hypothesis for this album is this album is basically their villains by Queens of the Stone Age. Where when Queens of the Stone Age uh, decided to take their kind of vibe and make it danceable, um, and, and to kind of prove my point here the best song on it is making a fire i agree with everything you're saying mm. and it reminded me of a queen song and it's got this kind of oddball energy and like a, a slightly odd timing um you know the, the timing and the energy of it is something that you kind of have to think about when you're going with it it's not so flat and bland um but where overall as a record villain sounds contemporary and it embraced a contemporary mindset where you know they got mark ronson to produce it and that kind of thing the foo fighters for their equivalent record are, are once again looking back and it's difficult because i don't want them to get their marshmallow on i don't want them to do what hmm. a day to remember are doing uh, but every time they write a record like i say they pick a vibe from the past to be average at um and this record really struck me as kind of strange and that there are good moments on it of course it's a foo fighters album they they have those but there it manages overall for me as a record to take a left turn in a way that at times is really weird and strange sounding and out of character um but the overriding impression still ends up being quite middle of the road where the foo fighters even managed to make their creative diversions sound a bit middle-aged and kind of sterile um alec overall then we we, if we we're all on board with making a fire at least what do you make Mm. of the foo fighters move to dancier territories I think it's all right. Um, I, I think the, the the title track and um, Cloud Spotter, they're the two that have got the kind of, 
when he was referring to Bowie, Let's Dance, I think they're the two songs um, mm. to me that stick out as having that kind of sound, that kind of very bass heavy kind of like funky pop kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's good. Like it's not, it's not brilliant, uh, but I think they do like a, a decent job of it. And again, they still add some like a weird little bits and bobs in it. Uh, like in, in the title track, there's an almost kind of like Santana uh, style solo in it. And, you know, in, in cloud spotter, there's the, uh, the kind of super heavy riffing after the, after the second chorus. It's not, it's, you know, it's not like weenie beanie, but um it, I, I felt a little bit, you know, like the whole like do the roar, you know, like when he he, he, he kind of gets to the bang, bang, bang bit. Yeah, that, that um, moment is about was kind of on that edge of edge of his voice as Dave kind of gets it. I'm on those songs. I'm weirded out by the Foo Fighters going to the Copacabana. I have to say, like the <laughs> the Caribbean percussion that comes in on it for me, it makes me giggle more than I'm particularly moved by it. Mm. I see. I really like him, Cloud. So I think it's got this kind of like bluesy Aerosmith kind of vibe to it at times, Cloud Spot, which I just really. I thought they actually sounded like they'd taken to quite naturally. I think that song is another one I think is really good. Um, it's kind of the more up tempo stuff on this album that I really like. No Son of Mine, another one I think is. No Son of Mine is cool. Yeah. yeah, that that gets better as it goes as well. I think that song. When it came in, it was a little bit off, and I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then it, as it gets going, I was like, Oh no, I'm kind of warming up to this and it, it's those songs holding poisons the other one that i really like it's it's like those four songs the opening track uh cloud spot and no son of mine and holding poison are i think really good and i would happily see them as part of the Foo fighters live set everything most of the other stuff on the album the slower stuff i think is a bit dull and self-indulgent oh, bit poo in it yeah i think i think it's when that's when Foo fighters get a bit too self-indulgent um uh, stuff like um, what's my, Chasing Birds near the end is like them trying to do a sort of Beatles-y kind of yeah. song. And I found that a bit like, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't like the Beatles. So it, In my notes, I literally had meandering shit John Lennon ballad. Yeah, um, that, that is what it is. Yeah, Beatles is definitely yeah. the actual reference point. For me in my brain, again, it reminded me of Queens of the Stone Age. Um, but specifically, there's a song on Light Clockwork called Colopsia that has this really like woozy psychedelic feel to it and chasing birds is like that if it had no dynamic shifts at all and never kicked yeah, in I know. and if i was, know exactly what you mean yeah on that. like queens make that song diverse and interesting and here it is so boring um waiting on a war for me is like a band doing a third-rate version of something they've done a billion times before i was about to say that is mid that is like the mid-tempo yeah. foo fighters song times mm. like these walk these yeah. days it's that is that song done again not as good no son of mine is the closest to like a shit kicker on this which is good holding poison has a similar approach in it's kind of repeating a riff and beating you into submission with it i will say that that riff you have heard a garage rock band in the mid noughties playing that exact riff probably a hundred times over it is so generic it is such a generic choice oh, of, of riff right in those there, notes actually. like he's it's like a, like a reading festival highlights package isn't it <laughs> like oh, the reason yeah. that's all connected is because you've heard that riff before it, i i couldn't believe how uncreative it was in that regard um and then the flip side of that is the when they go really weird like the worst song in it is, is shame shame which yes is, is, i agree is kind of mm. i i guess uh, softens the blow when the, the you hear a bad lead single and then there's nothing on the album worse than it. It is, it's 
that's such a weird song. Like it's so, sounds like them jamming in their rehearsal space. Yeah, it's like now the initial bemusement is gone. It just doesn't work at all. It's so odd yet so boring at the same time. Like it has, it, it never gives you anything of what you go to the foos for in songwriting. But the experimentation just completely flatlines and doesn't actually kind of go anywhere. And that's that's the worst example of it i kind of feel similarly about like i say when they're going or or, or shake the maracas it it feels a bit pastiche for me and kind of uh i i don't really vibe with it um for me i would probably if i'm being super brutal i will say this has two songs that i will go back to in in the first song uh, and no son of mine which is lower than the previous record but it's also in a vibe that i'm naturally going to vibe with less than mm. the previous record. Uh, what is interesting then is Concrete and Gold kind of had this. Uh, th- there's this kind of like s- sweet sounding pop rock from the past, stuff like the Beatles and ELO uh, and the Beach Boys and that kind of thing, which the Foo Fighters seem to be kind of drawing more and more on as they kind of get older. Uh, Concrete and Gold had some of that with a harsher, fuzzier kind of aesthetic on it, like stuff like La Di Dal. This is that you know, sipping a cocktail by the pool. Do we think that there's more of this kind of, whether it goes for that vibe or this one, that is a connective streak between these two. Um, Do we think there's more of this kind of pop streak to be mined with the Foo Fighters? I hope so. Um, This, this is my favorite one since Wasting Light. Like, I guess it's a thing that like they're, they're doing stuff and like, yeah, like shame, shame. It is. It is a fuck. You should be ashamed. Um, but like, um, <laughs> like they're they're not everything they're doing works. Um, but they're trying a lot of new things, and it's like not apart from shame, shame. It's all like from kind of ugh, it's yeah, fine, whatever. To oh, actually, this is quite good. That's fair. Um, yeah. That's the only so bad I, song on it. Yes, I, I would be well up for more of this. And yeah, I, I just think, uh, like Sam, you were mentioning holding uh, holding the poison. Like that, to me, that kind of uh, kind of crystallizes my frustration with the Foo Fighters because it's got that kind of like boring, kind of bland, uh, kind of radio rock riff in the uh, in the chorus. But then, like towards the end, there's that like solo with the choir kind of going all mental uh, over the top of it and there's a kind of like Knights of Sidonia gallop under it like it's so mm. weird but it really works and like that's probably my favourite rec- um, moment on the whole record I think uh, and just there's loads of little moments peppered throughout it that like I just it's it's actually it makes me want to actually play it again rather than just like sigh yeah that's the thing. I, I agree. This is the most I've liked Foo Fighters album since Wasting Light. Um, I they it just it feels like the, like Dave's a bit more like there's a bit more passion and personality, I guess, on some tracks on this. There are like definite missteps that like we've said. Shame, shame, being the obvious one, but there's more on this that I think is genuinely good as opposed to Concrete and Gold, which there's probably nothing on Concrete and Gold as bad as Shame, Shame, but it's. It's all a bit like one one level for me, Concrete and Gold, in terms of quality. It's it's kind of all middling, whereas this actually has high points that I would like to see Foo Fighters do more of in that kind of poppier take on classic rock. Right. Yeah. No, it's like, like Concrete and Gold, like the only thing I can remember from it 
is the sky is a neighborhood just because it was on the radio all the fucking time when when, yeah. when it came out like that's the only thing i can remember from it so yeah i agree with that like totally yeah i'm all right with them kind of sticking with this and kind of if, if they can take it to a higher standard because it is at the very least it i mean now i'm thinking about it it's the hardest musical swerve of the foo fighters career right like they they've never done anything as out of character and out out of left field than this album which for a band who the most common complaint about them is them being boring and you know fair enough half of this album is still boring (laughs) but it's 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 different um and i can't complain about that when when that is the complaint thrown at that band um i would like to see them again continue to do it to a higher standard because even with that i just can't see someone still enthusiastically spinning this in a few months time um but there you go that's the foo fighters that's uh medicine at midnight one of the biggest rock bands on the planet i think there's a couple good songs on it these guys think that there is quite a lot more than that so tell us what you think next up bit of a detour in it uh cult of, i mean not as much as we'll come up later but fuck oh, hell. uh this is this is comparatively normal but <laughs> cult of luna is our next review um they have got a new ep slash mini album it's been a bit confusing about what it actually is i think they finally called it an ep um but it is called uh shit i've forgotten what it's called what's it called the raging river the raging river there you go i was about to say, have i made that up or no it is that isn't it it's the first thing on the yeah album. yeah, yeah I, I was yeah i wasn't sure if i was getting confused with that and and the uh the record level there you go right yeah it is out on red creek which is yes uh cult of luna's newly created label uh which they are going to be it's distributed by other larger labels around the world but it is their own imprint for their own stuff the raging river is the name of the new release um which is it's very similar in length to the Foo Fighters album, but contextually kind of in length, this is a shorter companion project to 2019's A Dawn to Fear, um, which is a format that Cult of Luna have done before. They've done Vertical 2 and things like that. They often like to open a chapter with a fucking enormous album and then close it with an EP that's still about as long as most bands' albums. Um <laughs> I think it's fair to say that while Neurosis might be the all-time ultimate post-metal band in terms of pioneering it and still being brilliant, um, basically being what Napalm Death are to grind, Cult of Luna have been the post-metal band of the 21st century, and particularly the last decade. Their last decade has been more prominent, building up more and more so over the years, vertical into uh the judy christmas collaboration mariner into a dawn to fear alongside it you know the world of kind of post metal and bands taking influence from cult luna in a big way making waves with people um they are such an important band i also think they are one of the best bands in the world uh they are a band who make subtle shifts to their template cult of luna have a post metal template but they often offer quite a different world within that with each record vertical is this really claustrophobic industrial urban style record mariner is galactic a dawn to fear i found to be quite earthy but airy it was quite naturalistic um alec first thing i want to say about this is that you said on the preview show when we were discussing cult of luna that you like cult of luna but you didn't stick with a dawn to fear too much um is this companion piece to it in any way kind of reconfiguring where you stood on that uh no i mean i i prefer this because it's shorter um no i <laughs> i um i went back to adorn to fear because i knew i would have to try, try and kind of justify my position um 
Imagine that, having to talk and actually back up the things you say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, no, I, I just, I don't know what it is about a dawn to fail. I just, I, I can't, I can't get into it. Like, it's just one of those things where just a lot of it just doesn't really stick. Like, I really, I love Vertical, Vertical 2, love Mariner. I'd be lying if I said uh, I, I frequently go back further than Eternal Kingdom. I probably should. Um, I mean, certainly when but, somewhere along the highway exists, but yeah. Yeah, but um, I should have listened to that this morning. It's all right, isn't it? It's good. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, Vertical, Vertical 2 and Mariner are the ones for me. A Dawn to Fear... It, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't click with me. Right, I I will say that I actually I learned from the experience of reviewing the Dawn to Fear on this podcast because when we spoke about it, I really liked it, of course, back in 2019, and I made it clear as such. But there was a certain kind of air over that review of like Mariner being such a huge step, and that was less so. Uh, at six months on from that review, I was head over heels for Dawn to Fear, and that kind of made me mm. just go and click into place yeah it's fucking cult of luna of course i'm gonna love it a little more down the line like they are the kings of the treasure revealing itself over time album the slow burn um this is a different case in that regard because it is less than half the length of a dawn to fear but it being a companion piece to that record um sam you are, yes. are not someone who has quite so uh intensive a relationship with cult it's... of luna what do you find with this record i think this is fucking brilliant I think nice. this is so good. Colin Runner, been one of those bands I've always completely had all the respect in the world for. Their back catalogue is just very intimidating. <laughs> and I was a bit like, that's a lot Wait till I make and... you do a Neurosis special. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I actually like a fair few of the older Neurosis albums that, like, I've mm. gone back on Neurosis, whereas this has now been the one where I was like, okay, fine, stop being a coward, go and listen to Colt <laughs> Luna properly, because this is fucking incredible. Right. Well, it, I. Honestly, this is, <laughs> with it being a companion EP, this is about as inessential as Cult of Luna get. I don't know, I know, I know. I, know, I, I, I liked Dawn to Fear, but Dawn to Fear was also 79 minutes. Yeah, it's, it, like it's massive. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so, again, it's not one I go back to very often because it's a commitment. So, But this, condensing it down to nearly 40 minutes, has been like, oh, yeah, wicked. This is like my, this is Cult of Luna going more my speed. Yeah, I, I get that. It just... It is just so, like I say, it is this earthy kind of like thick guitar sound with this um, ambient beauty underpinning it all and where you get these brief reprieves every now and then where it goes really soft. But it's like, that's like you just coming up for air before the guitars come back in and smother you and the vocals crush your skull. I think this is so good. Yeah, this isn't a... Yeah, when I'm talking again about them kind of building the different worlds with their records, with this being a supplementary follow-up EP uh, to their last record, this isn't a particularly large leap forward in sound by them. There, I, there will certainly be um, people who hear this and be like, yep, that's Cult of Luna doing the Cult hmm. of Luna thing. Like, it, it's not a revelation, this, at all. I, I th- and I do think, ultimately, this will be reviewed as the the companion EP to A Dawn to Fear that also has the one Mark Lanigan collaboration on it, which we yeah. will which we'll get to in a bit. Um, even so... And even with me saying that, like, this is about as inessential as Cult of Luna get, that still makes it some of the best post metal on the, on the market. Like, that's just Cult of Luna. Um, the thing with this is, is where albums like, yeah, albums are so large, like A Dawn to Fear and Vertical, they have room to really give different portions of the album kind of individuality and purpose and kind of tracks uh, exist differently in that sense. This EP, it's basically four heavy building Cult of Luna tracks and one short soft one 
Um, the final song, in fairness, does have a kind of different approach to it, um, which I, it definitely means it, I kind of, for anyone who is like not very familiar with Cult of Luna, um, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of, on the one hand, like you're saying, Sam, because it is kind of bite-sized, it can be a really, really nice kind of entry point into understanding what Cult of Luna do. On the flip side, in terms of like understanding what all the fuss is about and all the kind of myriad of amazing shit they can do, I would direct you more to a dawn to fear the actual album before i direct you mm. to this um for diehard fans like myself it's it's a nice treat because um we do have some really really fucking cool shit like within here it's that cult of luna texture building always it's you know the uh from the first song three bridges it's a song that kind of builds these really amazing like synth uh, uh, and there's a kind of a, a lift off that comes with it that has this it's a really like dirty in the shadows kind of song and it's equally kind of unsettling and and dreamy as well and then a minute after that it adds more different synths and then by the end of it you've got xylophones and stuff and kind of electronic Mm. sounds that kind of can be there on mariner and stuff like that uh it's when that voice comes in like the full brutal johanna's voice it's so yeah, he's amazing. Uh, for me, for someone who I spend a lot of time listening to Cotton it's, it's quite a comfortable place because it's it's a kind of it's a familiar kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah, yeah, I get you. But fucking hell, he's he's terrifying to the point that like the last the last song, Wave After After Wave, it's not really metal and instrumentation very much, but it still sounds so massive and heavy, and it is part just through the vocal. Mm. Yeah, completely. I think his his presence on these songs is so overpowering, and that's. Where I think the third track, the collaboration, makes such a nice contrast because Mark Lanigan could not be further from that yeah. when he comes in. And it provides this reprieve from the terrifying nature of the other four songs. Yeah, well, there's a part on, like, wave after wave, there's almost like a foundation of a synth wave song in there somewhere, but you barely yeah. kind of notice it with the layering. Mm. Yeah, no, that layering, I think it really... Um, we were talking last week about um, bands with three guitarists and we were kind of joking that a lot of bands don't really need yeah we've got two of them this week actually we mentioned both cult luna and the foo fighters (laughs) yeah yeah um whereas in like that foo fighters record like it that could have literally just been i don't know dave Grohl and his dog couldn't it um but um (laughs) like in in i remember like near the end the kind of what you were saying perrin with the with the tech just layers upon layers um and that kind of soloing going off near the end it's just under everything it's adding more like just dissonance and horror rather than like for fun or flashiness like that's that's why they need three guitarists to just yeah paint different different edges of the of the canvas at the same time and um yeah they're like what you're saying about um Mark Lanigan sound like t- to me I I forgot he was on it and I actually laughed um just because you've had like 20 minutes of Johannes just going like oh and then it's <laughs> it's Mark Lanigan just going I stumbled down some steps um, <laughs> into a dream and all that sort of stuff yeah yes. you, you, you made that sound more like Lulu like uh yeah. <laughs> we're, we're... Just, but it is this really nice croon that he comes in with after this just like monstrous like shout for 20 yeah. minutes well i so, remember yeah. the song before it It has this really 
it's it's kind of a neurosis riff in kind of being really fucking droning and, and brutal it kind of reminds me of neurosis's last record but if the albini the steve albini production that they have that is very like stripped back and kind of naturalistic was swapped for fucking massive wall of heaviness and and um the quieter sections of that song are really interesting as well uh with you know you, you almost hear what could be like drum brush ghost notes and that kind of thing but inside of a dream is the middle song on this it's it's um I think it's a song that suits the evolutionary point that they find themselves at right now. Because every, like everyone who reviews this record is going to say, isn't Mark Lanigan and Cult of Luna a perfect fit? What I will say is that I am glad that they've specifically done it around the era of A Dawn to Fear because, again, of that organic, rootsy feel. Like, mm. this or Some Way Along the Highway, I think, would have been the two eras of their band to do that. And funnily enough, um, they've said that Somewhere Along the Highway was actually the record they originally wanted Mark Lanigan to be on, but at that point in their career, like much kind of younger they didn't have the courage to kind of step up and ask him um because you know in in on vertical or mariner he doesn't make quite so much sense here uh it, again that that rootsy feel to it um it's really beautiful and, and it works a lot my one complaint is that it's only three minutes and like he yeah he, I, like he's so you go he, he sang on longer queens of the stone age songs most of the time and it, it, it's it's like a calm amid the storm track in not truly crashing in when i kind of wanted to hear what Mark Lanigan's Julie Christmas moment was going to be for them in riding the changing tides. But the song we have here is nice. It, it's an interlude, such a, isn't it? Basically, but it's yeah. like So they played such a nice backdrop for him on it, though, as well, which mm. really, it just helps because you need a couple of minutes to kind of catch your breath and reassess yourself after those first two tracks before the last two tracks come in and start just smothering you again. Yeah, so there you go. Cult of Luna's new EP is called The Raging River. It is out now. It is not a full showcase of the mastery that band can achieve, I think, because it is a supplementary EP. However, if you are someone who would maybe like a nice little 30-odd minute project to kind of <laughs> test the waters with Cult of Luna before diving into the full, like, perception-shattering masterpieces, um, it's quite good. So go check it out. Final album uh, is... From the ruins of Beaverust, it is called the Thule Grimoires. Um, and I have to say that aside from the Foo Fighters and Cult of Luna, which we have just covered, of course, um, this isn't the busiest release week. So I, I had to look around for other things to cover. And as such, I had the opportunity to bring in something that I think, outside of something that Tom Dare might have brought in once upon a time, might be the most kind of underground extreme record that TNM has ever gone to review. Um, so I can immediately say off the bat, I mean, this is like even before like the the look Sam has given me right now, um, <laughs> immediately off the bat, I can say that this album won't be for most people. Uh, I, I will, of course, I will give you the pointers of what you might like about this. If you already like X and Y other bands as always, but this is certainly not an album for the faint of heart in terms of barrier of entry. It is also an album that I think in the underground, you are likely to see spoken about a lot in 2021 as a real noteworthy release of the year um i would say it is the best album we are covering this week for sure it's probably aside from tribulation the best extreme record of 2021 thus far the ruins of beatherist um a little bit of backstory they are a one-man project from germany which something that makes this even more impressive and bewildering um this one guy alexander has been making records since the early 2000s the early of which are really lo-fi and otherworldly i mean they've got one of my favorite album titles in foulest semen of a sheltered elite uh <laughs> alec you yes. have more tolerance for weird shit than I think Sam does. Um, have you gone in on the ruins of Beaver Rest before? 
Honestly, um, no. Um, I there's some of this kind of stuff that I do like, like I like uh, Nagura Bunget and like yeah. from the bogs from the bogs of Orgiska and, and stuff. Orgowska, Orgishka, however you say it. Um, <laughs> but um, we're in that territory, guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah. No, I I I not. I'd not heard of them before, to be honest. I'd seen uh, uh, Dean Brown's review um, in, in Metal Hammer. Um, basically, just kind of wanking it off, really. <laughs> um, and so I was like, oh, I must check this out. And um, yeah, and, and, and then I was forced to by you. <laughs> yes, you were. Um, from the beginning, I will say that Brew and Beaver's songs have been very, they've been long form and they've also been never just black metal they've always kind of had this experimentalist streak to them um i think that the full grimoires makes that really obvious like at some point over those years they kind of opened it up to this far more spiritual rather than purely depressive kind of beast um which this album has in spades and they also i think it was on the last album they started using a proper studio rather than just like matey boys garage um so like it, it does sound thicker and um, I mean, where do you even fucking start with this album? Alec, then, when you were forced to listen to this record, uh, I know what Sam thinks of it, I can guess. Uh, you are more of a... a I'm going to surprise you a little bit, I reckon. Okay, you are more of an unknown quantity, Alec. What did you make of this record from the ruins of Beaverust? Oh, it's fucking hard work, isn't it? Um... <laughs> How shocking yeah. would it be if I said that I really got into this on first listen? Uh, oh my God. Of course you did. <laughs> Of course you did. Everybody, like, this is the difficulty when you're running a, a quite popular rock and metal podcast when you listen to this shit. You have to separate where you sit uh, on, on weird things like this and where the vast majority of people are going to. But yeah, carry on, Alec. Yeah, there was that uh, the song Anchorus in Furs where there's the kind of otherworldly wailing uh, vocals and these like twisted riffs and it slows right down to that one note chug and I thought oh that sounds a bit trypticon I wonder what Perrin thinks um <laughs> but yeah no, he, he he does a lot of he does cover a lot of ground you know like ropes into Eden there's that kind of like uh kind of it starts with those kind of menacing keys and the like reverby loopy noise and then it just kind of goes into that kind of cold emotionless black metal blasting but then you get the kind of semi-clean guitars in the background coming in it almost sounds like immortal doing post-punk um yeah which sounds sounds terrible but i think that sounds quite wicked good, quite good actually um <laughs> but yeah um and he he clearly loves you know like paradise lost and typo negative and sisters of mercy and stuff like when he does the clean vocals there's a lot of like there's a lot of um Nick Holmes and Pete Steele in that. Yeah. Pete Steele, big time. I think that, um, like, I, I will go off on this record before bringing Sam in to be like, what the fuck was this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this record is, um, it is a sprawling record. I guess it's 70 minutes long. And I think that it, for me, this feels like you're, it's one of those records like the kind of world of extreme can offer up where you feel like you're part of this really big moving beast around you i would say that you know in the few kind of review shows we've done so far this year this is the most sprawling sonically immersive record that we have covered um it sounds again it fucking is hulking when the low end comes in because it's also you know it it, 
it's in at least in part black metal, but when it blasts, it has this really low end rumble to it, like almost like a, a droning over a blast effect, rather than you know the super high treble thirteen forty nine Marduk shit stuff like that. Um, you know, with the very first track it starts like pulsating in a way that sounds more like industrial or electronic than lo-fi black metal, and then you get that thing that comes mm-hmm. in. Part of that is quite tryptoconish with that low end, as you're saying. Part of it is this really echoey kind of dank claustrophobic environment with clean guitars and then you get the ritualistic chanting and stuff like this all these things come in in the second half of that song to make it really quite expansive in sound for me and my personal tastes i find the elevation of those songs like that quite irresistible like those are really really massive moments i think that um So just describing this as irresistible is just like yeah how? if you're a fucking creep um it's a toe tapper yeah well, toe right honestly yeah. the, the, the fucking when you talk about the gothy vocals which are much more prominent on this record than they ever have been before yeah. um like cromlech nell it starts like immediately it doesn't make you wait long for it before the melody line comes in um type of negative is a massive shout i think there's a lot of it that's like it's almost like black metal world coming down like it's that properly morose downcast it's a bit of black metal it's a bit of doom it's a bit of goth it's a bit of, it's a bit of ambient um those bits like the the, the melody lines on cromlech nell are really really when they pile on that side of it it's amazing like the guitar harmonies on that song as well i think the, the obviously the other really really prominent song in that regard is uh the one just before it the tundra shrines which when that's a much longer song but when the riff comes in about three minutes in and they actually put the actual clean vocal part on it it's really fucking spooky and and it's really fucking delicious in that sense in terms of how uh horrific um it becomes you mentioned anchoress in furs which when that middle eastern singer who sounds like she's being like beamed in through a wormhole it's with a massive like tribal drum section coming after her it's nuts um parts of this are, are really fucking uh it's really ambitious i think that's the what what i would bring this record to the table for because if it was just a like a raw black metal record that didn't do anything kind of out of uh left field i wouldn't bring it forward to the podcast but there's enough of really different interesting creative ideas on this like like the song which i have not wanted to say on the podcast mammoth police there's you'd think you put an o like mammothopolis at least but it's just mammothopolis um but it has this kind of like trancey like electronic trippiness to it where the clean vocals on that song they almost sound like they're being played backwards or something it's this really like garbled unsettling kind of thing but then the last minute of a half in it goes really peach steel in the kind of higher register of it as well and those are really fucking um amazing moments uh sam i did yes. <laughs> i did apologize to you in advance you for putting you this in the review the moment you said like this is a bit i was like oh god what's he done and then i read <laughs> before i listened to it i was like German one-man black metal project. And my head was just like, I fucking hate parents. Did you, did you go with this at all? At times, yeah. Okay, like, tell me about the it. First thing, production is way better than I was expecting from a German one-man black metal project. Oh, it, it you, were, you like, were expecting this band's first album, let me tell you that. Yeah, probably what. Like, but I was like expecting, sounded like it was recorded in a shed on a tape recorder. Mm. And actually, it mm. sounds really impressive. It sounds really thick and textured. And there's a lot of ambition way too long i just 70 <laughs> minutes of this i was just like but the thing is is i actually prefer the second half of the album the second half of the album, i think there's more ideas anchorus and furs is the highlight for me because 
that was something a bit different. The 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 Middle Eastern vocals and that I was like, oh cool, this is actually something a bit unique and not just drawn out doominess or sort of black metal that I'm sure is good, but I was like, I don't know if this is anything I've not heard from black metal stuff I've listened to before. I'm not an expert right. on black metal. I'm not going to pretend to be. It, it didn't sound revolutionary, but I think there were there, there are moments on this that I think are were impressive. I just didn't need 70 minutes of it. <laughs> Honestly, I think the closing just... track is actually quite cool as well, but again, that's like 15 minutes long. And it's like, I, I think if you just shortened every song down, and maybe this is like sacrilege me saying that about this, but I'm just like, all the songs are a couple of minutes too long. It's just how right. I Well, I, I will say that this kind of black metal is often built on uh, meditative, immersive yeah. kind of repetition. Um, so it, cer- certainly if you don't go with the world of it it will feel too long but i will also say that if you do go with the world of it then being shorter would lessen it because like i don't know how relatable to Tripticon this is but like with Tripticon, i go with the world of that i get sucked into that so those songs being long drawn out experiences i'm totally fine with because i got caught up in them but with this i just it just like every now and then i'd kind of tiptoe into that world and be like oh this is interesting but i never found myself getting sucked in yeah. in a way that i was like i really like this i can i can see how people might like this but for me it was just just it just didn't do it for me and i i was a little bit bored throughout at times did you like the kind of hammy gothy bits sam i, I did so that's thing like the moments of that i was like yeah that's quite cool but it was it's moments in a 70 minute album mm. that even then some of the moments i liked i'd forgotten about 15 minutes later because it was Everything, but after that, I was starting to be like, "Oh, this is dragging again," and I've forgotten about that bit I liked fifteen minutes ago. So it was when you said last week that the Tribulation album only partially you kind of went with. I went, "This ruins a Beaver's record is going to be loads of fun." Uh, <laughs> I, I like that. I, in hindsight, think I might actually have to go back to the Tribulation album and enjoy it a bit more. Yeah, that's the black album. I feel like this, I feel like I feel like that was this was my punishment for not loving Tribulation. <laughs> this is uh, bullying me because I didn't love Tribulation like you wanted me to. Yeah, I think that. The standpoint that you have just said will be the majority of people who listen to us. So that's like fair. And I think it's it's fair to stress that to most people. But if you, I, I think that there are enough really creative out there and well-executed ideas to justify this this project's existence and its length. Um, I will say that, I, I think that, again, just to kind of throw out more compa- uh, companion points to kind of draw you in, maybe if you've heard things peripheral to it. I mean, if you're interested in what like really droney underground typo negative influence can sound like, that's one thing. Um, I think the obvious comparison uh, in that if you like this band, you should check out this record is Shamash. There is the mm. same kind of low humming in the back of your consciousness rumble to their approach to blast beats, like I was saying, uh, uh, and black ele- uh, black metal elements. And then the experimentation that goes with that of layering in kind of progressive, ambient, gothic ideas. Indeed, that kind of mindset goes back to like 1980s Celtic Frost. We've mentioned Tryptocon, but it goes back to that. So if you're interested in that kind of approach to extreme music, this is a standout record of the year, I think. Um, you know, by extension, though, they're far less eclectic and involved. If you like something like that Gaia record that we covered last year, that's a kind of a similar approach to the black metal uh, element, at least. Um, in terms of the low end, even bands like uh interama or yob or, or stuff like bolzer maybe um but yeah the ruins of beaver s record <laughs> let us know what you think about it if you check about it i think it's fucking brilliant and i think that if you if you are someone who has similar music taste to me at least in regards to the underground i think that you'll get a lot out of this record the ruins of beaver the fool grimmo uh, the fool grimoire there you go that is out now 
we end as ever on Album Club. And Album Club this week is... is <laughs> fucking hell, I haven't even started. Um, it is Mindless Self-Indulgence with their record You'll Rebel to Anything released the 12th of April 2005. Um, this week, I opened the floor for Album Club uh, and I, I said, you know, what we need a record that fits such and such criteria. What should we do? And this is what you came back with. Alex specifically put this one forward. I was going to say Alec came yeah, back with but, this, not me. <laughs> well, Alex specifically put this one forward. But Sam, you also seem to express that you are at least familiar with this album. Yes, and I, I kind of wanted you to listen to this album. <laughs> sure. Uh, because, from myself, I have never ever listened to Mindless Self-Indulgence before. Them as a thing entirely passed me by you know i know that they were kind of this record is from as i say the mid noughties when i was not yet into rock music by the time i was no one was talking about mindless self-indulgence uh so my knowledge of this was absolutely minimal just you know it's just what i picked up today essentially um so i am i'm going to be leaning on you two a lot to explain what the fuck is the situation with this band um the impression that i had from prior to this is essentially people mentioning them as a band kind of like an artifact of their time like i remember this moment of zeitgeisty thing in the spotlight rather than a band that is still like continually loved to this day um alec how would yes. you describe to people like me or even you know people who are just getting into rock music now being like what's this thing for 2005 how would you describe mindless self-indulgence I guess to be really kind of uh, reductive, it's like electronic punk, isn't it? Like there's there's bits of industrial and metal and pop and hip hop and kind of like breakbeat drum and bass and stuff. But at, at the heart of it, it's like the the singer Jimmy Urin, not his real name. <laughs> um, he I mean, you, you left out wacky there. I think you need to mention it's wacky electro. What is electro punk? Yes, yes. Um, but like he. He just loved hip-hop, but he wanted to be in a rock band, uh, so he made this. Okay. Uh, before we go in on this record again, um, this is their third album. So what's the deal kind of prior to this one, and what changes here? Why is this the Mindless Self-Indulgence album that, that we are talking about today? Uh, so basically, the uh, first... Re- well, the, we're not going to talk about the demos, because it's... Uh, it's f- not got time to, to get into that, uh, <laughs> and I don't want to. Um, but um, the... <laughs> The debut is like it's it's all right. It's it is a bit more like hip hop ish. It's got a uh, cover of a Method Man song on it, um, and uh, I imagine that second... goes about as well as, as uh, Fred Durst being opposite him on on significant other. What? It's better than that, um, but um, okay. which which isn't say it's not saying a lot, is it really? Um, but um, and then the um, the second album, which is I think it's called Frankenstein Girls Will Street, seems strangely sexy. Uh, that Roll is off the tongue, um, oh I know right. Um, that's a bit more like refined in, in what they were trying to do with the kind of hip hop and punk meld. Um, you know, a lot of skits, a lot of um, questionable language um we'll get to that. and that yeah carries over to this <laughs> yeah and uh, and then and then you get to this one uh which is um it was their breakthrough five... moment yeah yeah pr- pretty much like this is the it's hard to explain mindless self-indulgence to people because i think um they were a real moment in time uh, where from about this album in like 2005, 2006 to like 2009, they were just getting covered in Kerrang! and Roxanne and stuff all the time. And at the time, I was just kind of like, 
I didn't really make anything of it. I was just like, oh, it's, you know, Panic at the Disco, Fallout Boy, MCR, Mindless Self-Indulgence. Like, I didn't really think of anything of yeah, it. Yeah, because I was, I was looking at, like, message boards and stuff from the time of people putting in with, you know, the the supposed emo bands of the day like mcr like mm. that's weird when you listen to this album <laughs> yeah like it's so weird that they got big at this time because they were totally unlike all of those other bands yeah well i mean it definitely it, has that mid noughties early internet early youtube kind of dance i mean the aesthetic is and the aesthetic is very of that time they are myspace the band aren't they but i, I think <laughs> yeah. the uh, i think the thing is about this band that i've uh, I think it was kind of lost at the time. And I think looking back at them as an artifact, it is lost now. It's like, it is a joke. Like, it is a satire of hip-hop and rock music, pretty much. Like, the attitude, the music itself, the lyrics. Like, it's it's Mad Magazine, it's Turbo Negro, it's Weird Al Yankovic, it's No FX. I guess if, you, if you're not in on it, it might seem a bit insane clown posse. Um, <laughs> uh, and again, like Jimmy, he, he was really really into hip-hop um still don't think it, it it gives him the kind of license to uh flagrantly throw around the e- n-word willy-nilly which he only does i mean it doesn't give him license to rap to be honest um <laughs> no not the, the, at the, all the, the, the bits <laughs> no. on this when he starts doing that oh uh, um yeah like they, they're so it, it's weird because the vocal approach on this is almost like it's like the craziest system of a down material like your vicinity mm. of obscenities and your cigarros and stuff like that but it this record i mean going to it listening to it now it a lot of it it sounds basically like you've let a hyperactive squirrel onto a, a mixing desk with some kmfdm beats uh, <laughs> and just like just god there you go and like, like those system of down songs have just cracked open onto it and even at 26 minutes there came a point where i just wanted him to shush like <laughs> it's it's pretty full-on uh-huh. record in regards to like jesus christ quiet down lad <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's a weird one because there's there is this kind of weird juvenile charm to it i think in a way it, it is like this child this like ADHD child running about shouting and just making as much noise as they want to make and not caring who they upset or offend at any point in it. And maybe they should care. Maybe they should care. But it's got so much rebellious energy that kind of propels the Amford and almost makes it work. I, I mean, almost. it's certainly the kind of thing that would appeal to young people. I mean, if, yeah. if, if Broken Side could do it, with their mm-hmm. electronics. I'm sure that mindless self-indulgence could, could do it with theirs on, on you know. Obviously, uh, Shut Me Up is the, the most famous song for, from this record. Uh, there is, it's, oh. the, it's, it's the one that's the most coherent song, for sure. It's the only one that made me, it was insistent enough, but also kind of, again, coherent and kind of well-written enough to be like, yeah, okay, I get this being at least a popular, prominent song of the time it, you know the, the hook and everything works and the lines like i like my coffee black just like my metal or just kind of um throw away enough for like a generation of people to to go with it um i think stupid mf has a similar thing where hey the chorus is going to shout stupid motherfucker that was what like yeah. teenagers at that time are gonna lap that up yeah thoughts on shut me up first before we get to the broke oh, yeah, the yeah. broken parts of the record <laughs> <laughs> i mean shut me up is fucking massive isn't it like that it's, it's, it's good <laughs> like, it's have, cool, you seen, have, like, yeah. have you sorry mate what are you saying 
it's a cool, fun, wacky punk song. Like, yeah. Like Pet Perrin, did you watch the uh, the video? Um, no, I didn't. I probably should have. <laughs> okay, so basically, um, I, I think part of their success as well with it, with this is this album came up came out pretty much like around the advent of YouTube in two thousand and five. For sure, yeah. Um, and as a result, this video is quite popular. It's basically a uh, like a shopping like a like a supermarket clerk just getting pissed off with his customers it starts with him like punching an old woman he (laughs) he throws a baby at a man and the baby just like sticks in the man he impales a woman (laughs) on like a supermarket wobbler and then it just ends with him blowing up um which i guess kind of um summarizes music really isn't it it's just like bubble gum yeah Mm, yeah yeah to kind of touch on that point i guess for a moment um how much of the kind of the the success of the band on this record do you think is to do with things outside of the music such as um that again that youtube wave or or things like the live show as well which i know is kind of a a uh, a thing that is mentioned a lot with mindless self-indulgence yeah i think they they came like this came just at the right time really didn't it as in like this breaking out and then kind of like the whole folklore around the live shows which yeah again like they you know he used to set fire to his pubes uh they used to spit piss on people like the 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 company who insured them they only had one other client who was 50 cent the man who was shot nine times or whatever um <laughs> like it was quite like like that this was what one of the reasons why i kind of wanted to chat about this just the idea of them getting a big push by the likes of Kerrang in like 2021 is hilarious um <laughs> like it's, just it's imagine like if young blood was dangerous yeah or, I mean, well, that wait, kind wait, of thing like, maybe more of a comparison at point is to the likes of 100 gex then in people listening to that and going what the fuck's going on here this is a headache but like a lot of people really love it yeah and i think the um i hate to say this because I, I actually quite like mindless self-indulgence i think they're uh they're just good fun it didn't um, surprise but... me that you liked this because of again when, when, I, when I, I when i said like the kmfdm comparison it, it's just got enough kind of like programmed blaring beats that you with your taste would would, would i was about to say it. like i'm not shocked one bit that you that you <laughs> like this like this yeah. felt like i was like of course alec likes this <laughs> i mean because it, it, it's almost like Parts of it remind me a little bit of stuff like Blood Command and that kind of like that disco-y punk sort of stuff that mm. came along. Little bits of it remind me of that, just that on the craziest sugar high imaginable. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I think that the thing is about them, like one of the big selling points was, I guess, you know, you had the image of Jimmy with his the Liberty Spikes, the jackets with the slogans on, his fishnets and stuff. But like the their attitude... Um, was another really big thing. And I think uh, one of the unfortunate things to come from that is um, I am sure that this is like the 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 birth of crunk core right like crunk <laughs> crunk core <laughs> has I didn't, just taken... I didn't name drop broken side without meaning yeah you know because crunk core has just taken the kind of uh, the, the kind of a rudimentary understanding of metal and electronic music they've kind of um they looked at the kind of offensive like outlandish bits of mindless self-indulgence but not kind of analyzed why why they're saying it where it's coming from and they've just gone oh we could just let's just be misogynistic now woo um and i think mindless self-indulgence are kind of to blame for that but then again it's like 
you have to kind of understand there's a little bit of a nod and a wink like they are literally called mindless self-indulgence yeah it, it, it's very it's got the same you can imagine these guys wearing the same neon colored shirts as those people except like you're saying there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek with it here i just find uh i mean something else with this record is it's so like again full-on and kind of ridiculous but i also i don't pass the wackiness of the energy that they're delivered with the songs are very straightforward they're often very short they only occasionally go a bit off course like i quite like um the second half of straight to video when it kind of starts garbling the beat a little bit more and being a little bit more experimental with it but the first half of that song with that really nasal like like it's fucking terrible like it's such an annoying hook um and songs like what do they know like the songs aren't interesting they're just flooded with really flimsy rapping that doesn't that doesn't uh come together like songs like prom and bullshit are messy and they don't Mm. come together like and then i suppose we've got to talk about the rush cover which is (laughs) if you are not familiar like there is a cover of tom sawyer by rush on this which it's, it's basically they fucking chipmunked it like i might not have recognized it i i love rush and it's this is on about time 10 speed and so fucked up I almost respect it if it wasn't rubbish, but this feels like, <laughs> I feel like I am a 40-year-old man sat in my Rush shirt being told by, like, my child son to get with the program, Dad. Like, it is, uh, it's, it made me feel old, and this record is 16 years old. <laughs> I don't even think that's the worst part of the album, either. Like, it's not good, that is not good, that bit, but I wouldn't even say it's the worst thing on here. Well, I mean, what, <laughs> what if, fire it out, what's what the worst thing? Two hookers and an eight ball just erase that song from existence. <laughs> what, do, what do you mean? Rolling out in my Mercedes and into the eighties with a bad case of rabies and a high top fade. What do you like, mean? Like to me, that that is the creation of Crunkcore. Is that song? And I'm just like erase that song from existence, please. And the language does. I was listening to it and I'd forgotten because I've not listened to this album in yeah. over ten years, and I'd forgotten when when he says that word, and I was like. Oh, that made me uncomfortable for a second. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how did a white guy in even in two thousand and five? I was like, surely, surely. yeah, really hyper fast yappy vocal as well. Like, it kind of makes it sit like just as strange. Which I suppose becomes to ha- Alec. How much of this record do you think actually holds up, and how much of it is just nostalgia? <laughs> I mean. To me, I, f- I fucking love it. But, um, <laughs> of course you do. But like, honestly, j- just to really quickly touch on the um, that what you mentioned in Two Hookers and Eight Ball, Sam. Like, um, I'd forgotten that he uses that that word as well. And basically, they use a lot of like fucking horrible language. Well, they um, same in Stupid MF. They use another yeah, slur yeah, that I wouldn't that, dare utter at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I know. I, that, that's very 2005, isn't it? Like, yeah, oh, but, but that's the thing. Is yeah. that when I kind of go, I get that being said at that time because everyone, that was not con- like even considered like nearly as offensive as everyone with a brain yeah, now. Yeah, no, people, people just threw it around, didn't they? But no, I, I think the thing is about them, like, I'm not saying this is a an excuse or anything but i think it's one of those things that looking back and kind of reminiscing about mindless self-indulgence is uh kind of on around this time they have like a massive uh kind of like lgbtq plus and like bipoc following yeah Um, which again i'm not saying that makes it 
okay because you know like oh you can use a gay slur because you have gay fans and so on and so forth uh you know as a straight white man that's not that's not my place to say that at all um but it's just one of those kind of odd little things i they're, they're one of those bands that i just i don't know if it's all right to like them as in like <laughs> you know like because i think you, a lot of people have nostalgia for them i think you'll find there's a certain generation who will like admit that they have nice feelings for mine and stuff like that, even if they would probably admit it go probably it's a relic well i certainly i certainly 40s. don't think that if, if you genuinely really like this record i certainly don't think you should be ashamed of it i like even no. when it comes to like you know there are there are the unsavory aspects of it are a of their time and b you know you can debate back and forth about whether that it's okay, transgressive like, or, or yeah merit or or not, but, there, but, but there is that kind of tongue-in-cheek aspect to it um and you know, if if you love the kind of ball of energy that this is, like go for it, run with it. Um, the what the one thing I want to ask, to, the last thing is we were talking about their influence on the electronic rock music that immediately followed. Um, I was shocked to see like uh, in more recent years, like Grimes has worked with the guy from Mindless Self Indulgence, who in turn like Grimes is someone who her influence on rock bands utilizing pop now like bringing the horizon fucking did a track with her in it like mm. it, a lot of bands who claim to be futuristic are basically writing grime songs with guitars in them uh, and grimes has better songs with guitars in them like <laughs> it, it, it was wild to see like the person who made this record uh working with someone like that like do you think that there is a a lasting uh legacy and influence of this band on what is going on today as opposed to just like at the back end of the noughties not not really i think the 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 thing that is kind of um well it's just him in it jimmy he, he's the thing <laughs> that he's the thing that is left like he um because he was kind of i guess embraced by a lot of the like rock press and just people in rock music and so now he's not calling himself jimmy urin anymore he's calling himself his his actual name is like jimmy uringer um and that he did a solo record which yeah, he's is called the, the kobe got, dick Yes, exactly, um, Mr. Dick. If you're nasty, um, but um, no, he, that record. He, he's got a solo record with the yeah, Grimes on it. It's got Serge Tankian on it as well. He actually did a album with Serge. Um, he'd been teasing it for. Li- like, I interviewed Jimmy in like 2012 or something, and he'd been saying, "Oh, I've got this album coming out with Serge. It's called Fucktronic." Um, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, "Yeah, it's just kind of like shagadelic, e- baby." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he was just like, oh yeah, it's just like East London gangster soundtrack oh, to, to, to a film that doesn't exist. It's out soon. It came out last year. Um, mm. It is it's really funny. Like, it's, it's so stupid. Uh, it's just like, yeah, like gangster movie music. Um, but like, that's the most notable thing he's done like in about <laughs> like, eight years. I imagine they'll be able to cash in on a reunion thing every couple of years at like maybe once a decade, be able to come back and do some reunion shows and sell out decent sized venues and fuck off again. Well, that's the thing though, isn't it? Because I, uh, they broke, they, they went on hiatus in like 2014 and I saw them in like 2012, 2013. And that was the only time I saw them and they were all right. They're pretty good, but like, Compared to like the the footage of them, like mm. even in like two thousand and five, where they were like the peak. Of oh, their... you're forty year old. Why are you not shitting your pants yeah. and throwing at <laughs> yeah. me anymore? Yeah, yeah, well, he he's fifty now. Like he's fifty fifty one <laughs> or something. Like 
the idea of him like just coming on and doing that and like you know the bassist like they'd play the song and then like, after the first song she just like jump into the crowd um like they're like middle-aged now um so i them coming back would be a really odd thing to watch because I, I don't know what people would expect. Maybe they could support um, Michael Chemical Romance's reunion shows. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean uh, yeah. Gone in, haven't they? Yeah. So, mindless self-indulgence. You'll rebel to anything. That is where we end That's Not Metal this week. Don't forget, patreon.com slash that's not metal is now live and up and running. If you want to support us and be part of everything going over there, thank you. Um, next week here as ever, we'll be have We'll be here with all of the news and reviews. Going to be covering some areas and scenes that I think haven't been so represented in these first few weeks of the year. So if you are someone who these last couple of shows haven't really been scratching your itch of just your particular corner of music, I think hopefully we'll have something for you next week. It's just how the releases go. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us if you choose to. We'll see you there. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.